0: Now, I know, because well, Vipassana is a very popular subject. Um, some of you have taken that uh, 10-day retreat that Winka has designed. So a few of you have done that. Yeah, a number of you have done that. Good. <clears throat> Those courses are very good. They're very useful. Everybody should do it. It's, they're really good, good things to do. Uh, many, many people are doing them around the world. Um, we'll talk a little bit about uh, these practices and then um, there are some um, fundamental understandings that I'd like to bring out that are not brought out that much or as, as much as they should be so that people can be successful in the practice. You know, everyone hears about these practices and they say, gee, let's go and, and do them. But um, it's like driving a car. When a person doesn't know how to drive, the first thing they do is not to jump in the car. The <laughs> first thing they do is to study what are the rules, what are the laws of the road. You know, you do a precursor study before you actually turn the ignition and <laughs> put your foot on the gas. Those precursor studies are immensely important. Can you imagine someone just jumping in the car of some 14 year old child jumping in the car and wanting to drive it's It's a disaster you know, it's just a question of time. You know, meditation is uh, a little bit like that you, you, there are There are preparatory uh, understandings and practices that uh, will allow you the facility to be able to be skillful in mind training or skillful in driving as we're using that analogy. You know, know, what are the challenges? Uh, What is my condition? The problem is that often people jump into mind training and they're psychically drunk and don't know they're drunk. Like most drunks don't know they're drunk. <laughs> they're just happy. <laughs> Same thing with, with, with meditation. You, you, have, you have to have some kind of a, 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 an assessment of your psychic facility so that you, you can uh, make adjustments to enter the process of meditation. <laughs> just, just jumping in it, it's nice that you have that you make that effort but it's not skillful so when entering this type of a uh, mind training any kind of meditation vipassana is just one one methodology one has to take a, a look at the nature of their mind uh, and and this is not the the students fault because no one has taught you no one has taught you what questions to ask yourself so you sort of just jump in headlong but um, there's fundamental questions to ask yourself so that you can make adjustments so that you're fit for the journey. If I say let's go climb Mount Everest and nobody does any training and gets the proper tools the proper understanding how many are going to make it to the top, mm-hmm. nobody. There's all this preparatory questions. What do I need? How do I use it? You know, how do I apply it in this circumstance, this circumstance, this circumstance? So so there's a lot of uh, preparatory uh, thinking uh, that has to be uh, thought out. There's a lot of qualities that are needed. If I say, let's climb Mount Everest and your body is not fit, well, What's your odds of getting to the top? See, you have to have a certain physical, emotional, psychic fitness to even attempt the journey, much less accomplish the journey. So, there's many, many things that we must think out. If we if we look at our uh, our mind, everything within the mind is limited. Because the mind is not infinite. So, you have a limited instrument. The only thing it can hold within it is the limited. <laughs> See? The limited can't hold the infinite. <laughs> the infinite can hold the infinite and the limited, but the limited can only hold the limited. <laughs> so, if you're talking about the goal of meditation, which is the infinite, unlimited. How's the mind going to hold that? Not possible. Not possible. So, you have to say, okay, um, I'm using the mind and somehow using this limited uh, instrument, somewhere in between a miracle has to happen and I can touch the unlimited. There's... Almost takes a miracle, but it's a prepped miracle. You know, why does grace come so easily to saints? Because they prep themselves. They're 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 fit vehicles, so they're an easy chalice. Most human beings, all the grace comes, but they're more of a sieve than a chalice, so it just slips through. They can't hold on to it, hold on to the grace. So one concept that you have to think about, or let's say gives a couple of definitions of meditation just to make you think a little bit, that um, meditation um, is a science. That brings death to the finite meditation is a science that brings death to the finite or death to the limited okay so then we have to do an analysis and we say well or let's say meditation is a science that brings death to the definable Another, you should write all these things down. <laughs> and then you have to say to yourself, well, if, I have, if I talk to my good friend uh, Raj over here, and I say, Raj, how many ways do you define yourself? I say, well, I'm a, I'm a student. Well, I'm a son. Well, I'm a husband. Well, I'm a devotee. See, all, all those are self-definitions. And now I'm telling you that meditation is a system that brings death to the definable. Well, I'm a male. you know. Well, I'm a citizen. Do, do you understand how consciously and unconsciously how important these things are to us? And I'm telling you that in meditation all these things. I love being a son. I love being a father. I love being a husband. I love being a male, you know, that, that we have a, a huge psychic investment. You know, I love being a mother. <laughs> Can you think of the psychic investment we have? And then some meditation teacher comes along and says that, uh, that meditation is a death to the definable, death to the limited. Well, that's terrifying. But here's the good part, the easier part. So that's just one half. But it's also meditation is birth to the unlimited. It's birth to the undefinable. See? Birth to the infinite. See? Makes you feel a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> Teacher is saying, on one hand, your favorite meal you're never going to touch again. But then on the other hand, he says, all the meals are yours. <laughs> <laughs> you feel a little bit better. <laughs> it's all yours, not just your favorite meal.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, how many people love being a male? How many people love being female? Yeah. Of course you do. It's caution. It's what you've been invited. In. You're used to it. It's, it's comfortable. Yeah. But in this science, you're going to go beyond your maleness, beyond your femaleness, beyond being a father or a mother or a citizen. So You're going into a, an unknowable realm. Now, most people don't like to go into the unknowable. They say, "I know what I got here. I'm good with it." <laughs> but you say, "Go into that cave, which you can't see anything." Say, "Well, I don't know about that. Maybe, maybe tomorrow." <laughs> and tomorrow never happens. So this is where you have to study the saints, because the the saints are those souls who have made the journey. See, the average human being, they think about it and say, "Later." You know, I'm good with that, what I have. You know, this I know, that I don't know. You know let's, let's leave the unknowable alone, is what the average person says. Uh, but by uh, studying the saints of any culture, any tradition, um, you, you fall into the romance of the divine journey, the divine quest. And if you study them carefully, you, you, you realize these are exceptional souls with exceptional vision so that over time you learn to trust them because they are truly exceptional. So it's the study of the saints massively important, whether it's Christian saints or Hindu saints. Or Native American saints, Jewish saints, doesn't make any difference. Zoroastrian saints, it doesn't make any difference. Whatever tradition, Eskimo saints, they got to be there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> They're hidden in the ice. You know? Because only if you could find some kind of a mentor can you acquire the uh, courage to go into the unknowable. So you had Lewis and Clark walking across America to... To map the country. If the men behind Lewis and Clark didn't trust those two fellows, would they have gone on that walk? I don't think so. They had to have immense confidence in the leaders. Otherwise, no way. They can lions, tigers, and bears. I don't want to deal with that. So you acquire confidence by studying the saints. So many people will jump into the science of meditation uh, with tremendous enthusiasm, but have not really thought about those souls who have truly made the journey and made a substantive study of souls who have made the journey. So if you try to make the journey without having that sort of backwash of knowledge um, about souls who have made the journey, there'll eventually come a point where you're not going to take another step forward because you won't have confidence you won't have faith you know we have a lot of practical application and then there comes a point where you simply need faith to take the next step you know you you you're running into phenomena into circumstances into uh, a broader dimension that is unknowable to you. So you have to have faith. See, you, you're, you, Otherwise, your courage will fail you. You'll come to so far, and you'll say, that's it. There's a leap that has to be taken. And that leap can only be there if you have faith in some great souls, see? where you say, well, they did it, and I'm following them. So you close your eyes and you leap. Okay. So these 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 are preparatory things that you you have to think about and and in the practice of meditation you have to be willing first aware and then willing to release the definables i am male my name is so and so my race is such and such you know these, all of these are hidden charges that are in us. This is my heritage. You might love your heritage. Now, in meditation, those are all nobles, definables, limited realities. You have to have the, the courage and the, the willingness to temporarily put them into suspension, because each one of those things is an anchor. <laughs> Each one of those things is a lead pellet in your pocket. See? If, if you're trying to acquire the infinite and you're holding on to the finite, isn't each one of those things like a, a, a lead anchor in your pocket, a lead pellet in your pocket? You, you can't have this and that. You, you can't have the infinite and the finite. You have to You have to accept the infinite on its own terms on its own terms. You can't say, well I'm going to calculate the infinite and I'll do it my way. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> That's a ticket to the planet Earth over and over and over and over again. You, know, you, have, to, you have to accept the infinite on the infinite's terms. You know. Just like the great souls that followed the Master Jesus when he gave his teachings, you have to accept those teachings on his terms, not on your terms, (laughs) or Lord Buddha or Lord Krishna, Lord Krishna's great gospel in the Bhagavad Gita. You have to accept it on Krishna's terms. You have to grow into the infinite. You can't hold on to the finite. You have to grow into the infinite. So, we have to put all of our limited notions into suspension. Then when we're, when we're sitting, so so we, we know that we have, so now we're becoming aware that we have multiple forces holding us back. All of your self-definitions, all of, all of your loves, Passions and animosities; those are all lead pellets in your pocket. You know, each one of them is holding you to a to a temporal place in time. And meditation is saying, "Embrace the infinite." <laughs> See. So, how how do you get out of this morass of all of these things? It sounds impossible. Meditation itself is a living miracle. It's it's a miracle to be able to do it. <laughs> But it, it, it is doable. There is a the grace of God has put a miracle in the in the seed of life itself that you can get out of this great great trap. One of the uh, there's two great qualities that that have to be uh, cultivated in the practice of uh, meditation or heightened awareness, heightened internal awareness. What is the nature of reality? That's all this Vipassana training. That's what you're trying to do. What is reality? What is real? The first, there's two qualities. One is uh, relentless contentment. Being able to just be. And and be without criticism. Be without uh, defining things. Be without wanting anything. Just to be. If, if we think, you know, how how often do we sit with contentment? Not that much time. You know, if, if there's, a, if there's a, even a microsecond in the day, that's a lot. So we have to cultivate the quality of relentless contentment. Now, because contentment is not a a subject talked about all that much in the, in the basic uh, uh, avenues that we live in life, we give ourselves these uh, micro experiments to do so that we can see where we really are on the scale of contentment. Like, let's say the scale is from one to ten, and ten is like greatly, and the other two, one is just like... <laughs> breaking rocks (laughs) so if I if I hand out a piece of toast to each person nicely buttered toast and say okay I want each person to eat this piece of toast but I want you to take one hour to eat it you can't eat it any faster you have to take one full hour to eat this piece of toast and you have to pay attention to the nature of your mind as you eat this toast. Now, what comes up? You know, what obstacles arise in that period of an hour when you're eating that toast? If I tell you to eat a toast and take one one piece of toast, all forms of anxiety are going to rise up in you. You know, to, to, to be able to manage. How long does it take to eat a piece of toast? <laughs> Three minutes, you know. And I tell you to take an hour. All of those things are the hidden obstacles that arise when you're sitting in meditation, but you're not aware of it. But if I say there's a pad and a pencil here at at the table with you, and you have a one hour to eat this piece of toast, no faster. Then you have to eat the toast. Then you have to say, okay, what is the process of eating a toast? So write down the process. And then you have to watch your physicality, your emotionality, your mentality, and see all of the things that arise when you're eating that piece of toast. Because if you don't do that, all of these things are happening and you're not aware. So you have a lot of psychic drag that you're not aware about. Now, if you want to remove all of these things that are pulling you down, don't you think it's a good idea to become aware of it? Of what, what's limiting you? Mm-hmm. See? So with that simple piece of toast, you can learn an amazing amount of information of why you haven't been successful in meditation. Because you have all of these unconscious things that are dragging you back, holding you down. So there'll be all kinds of physical agitations all kinds of emotional. Yeah, you don't realize how irritated you can become at a piece of toast. <laughs> the toast never did any harm to you, but you'll have all forms of emotional reaction to that piece of toast. You know, and you'll have all kinds of vast intellectual calculations about this piece of toast. But t- to write it down, to write down all the types of arisings, so that you know. Wow, I had no idea that something as simple as eating a piece of toast, I would have all of these types of agitations, all of these types of disruptions, all of these types of phenomena arise in my psyche, you know, physical, emotional, mental psyche. You have to know, you know, what is, what is there? What is limiting you so that, so that you, otherwise these, are, these are phenomena will rise and fall so fast that you won't be aware of it. But they're still having their effect on you. See? As we were, if I tell you to eat the toast in an hour, you have, you have the time to become attentive to what is arising and falling. And what is, each one of those is a drag on you. Now if I tell you to run down the block and I put a, a, a big parachute on your back and tell you to drag that parachute, well, how fast are you going to move? Your speed is going to be cut down immensely. See, So, by becoming aware of these things that can arise and fall, that they rise and fall in, in microseconds, then when you're sitting in meditation and they arise, you can become aware of it easily. Because before it happened like that and you didn't know. But it's still a stone in your pocket. It's still holding you back. Now, it arises, even though it's arising in a microsecond, it can be from a microsecond to a very long period of time. You can get into a rage over the toast if, you, you know, if that's hidden within you. But now, because with that simple exercise, you can identify it. If you can identify it, you can release it. You can emotionally, you can consciously release it. If you can't identify it, how much are you going to release? It's with you. You know, it's, it's a stone in your pocket that you're not aware of. You have to be able to do simple exercises where you can become, oh, I didn't realize I felt that. Oh, I didn't realize this phenomenon. I didn't realize I was thinking so much. I didn't realize I had so much chaos. I didn't realize I had so much agitation. You know? the, the, that piece of toast will, will help what's resonant in you, stuff that you just picked up unconsciously, to arise. And it will arise, hopefully, in such a way that we can pay attention to it, to see it. Once we see it, we say, ah, oh, okay. okay, I know there's a tiger in the tank, I can deal with it. Okay, I know there's a monkey in the tank, I can deal with it. I know there's a parrot in the tank, I can deal with it. But until you're aware of those things, how are you going to deal with it? <laughs> see? So you have to know, you have to give yourself exercises where you can, you can realize something as insubstantial as a piece of toast can make all of these events happen. this so that's so by becoming aware of all the phenomena we acquire the ability to release it to let it go so that we're not moving ahead with a whole lot of dead weight a lot of drag the other great uh, phenomena that we have to all learn is sustained attention. Sustained attention. Because if we look at our mind and 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 how we define ourselves, the mind does one thing at a time. But it does one thing at a time really, really fast. So it's going from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's it's jumping around all the time. It's not, it's not, it's habit is not sustained attention. It's habit is to flip in microseconds from one thing to another thing, to another thing, to another thing. Like when you can think when you're driving, how many things does your attention fly to? A million different things. Even when you're just walking down the block, your attention, all the things that we talked about earlier, how you self-defined yourself, all of those things, are the mind is flying through it rapid, rapid pace. But see, there's no sustained attention. You're walking down the block. I am a woman. I am a journalist. I am a mother. You don't think all of those millions of things are flying through your head in microseconds? When does a woman forget she's a mother? When does a woman forget she's a woman? See? When does a woman forget she's a child of a woman? you never forget it's always there but it's happening in microseconds all the th- all the ways that you've self-defined yourself you know I am of this culture I am of that culture see oh this is my favorite memory of dad this is my favorite memory of th-. all of those things there's a million things happening in your psyche in microseconds See? when are you void that means All of your personality elements stop when you walk down the street or or have all of your elements your your elements of personality just in suspension absolutely not you're when you walk down the street there's ten thousand self-defining ways you're thinking about yourself in microseconds in microseconds ten thousand ways that you're self-defining yourself I am black, I am brown, I am white, I am tall, I am fat, I am skinny, I have a long nose, I am a child. All of those things are flying through your mind in microseconds. See? So where is the sustained attention? See? <laughs> you have to be aware of your circumstance. So once you realize that the nature of mind is fleeting, it's running from this, to this, to this, to this, to this. This is where you get back to that piece of toast. (laughs) Where you can use that piece of toast as a method of training. (laughs) So you say, okay, I know that my habit, and it's a habit, of self-defining myself in 10,000 different ways, all in microseconds. Within a microsecond, you've defined yourself 10,000 different ways. Now, I've got an hour to eat that toast, (laughs) that piece of toast. And I have to try to practice sustained attention. See? Now you're, you're trying to, when you say sustained attention, it means now you're going to try to regulate the mind. Before, the mind is completely unregulated. So, in a moment, your mind has flitted across 10,000 different uh, avenues of self-definition. You've defined yourself 10,000 different ways in a moment, in a moment. See? Now you're saying, okay, I'm going to think about one thing. (laughs) One thing. So you've got, you know, 360 degrees, and I'm going to tell you just to look along one degree. When your normal habit... Is to transit 360 degrees in microseconds, and now I'm going to say enough already <laughs> with you know the 300 and, you know uh, 59 degrees. I just want you to look at one degree, just one. Now, isn't that going to cause a riot in your consciousness? <laughs> you know, when you have a when you have a life habit of looking at 360 that's going to cause a riot that's the op that's where you have all the trouble where all the difficulty comes so so you, you have to uh, acquire uh an understanding why do you read the saints because they'll still give you inspiration and teach you the value of looking at one thing at a time other than that, who else is going to tell you the value of looking at one thing at a time? No human being is. It's only the saints and masters say, look at one thing at a time. Just pay attention to one thing. Nobody else on the planet is going to say tell you that. Everybody else is multitasking, and, they, and that's the norm. So they're going to say, and that's why, why does a saint eventually say to you, God alone. See? He'll give you many, 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 many different ways of looking at God, and then, after you've gone through all this kind of mind training, he'll tell you to stop and say, God alone. Just one thought. <laughs> one thought. Not 10,000 thoughts. They may they may teach you 10,000 in the beginning. They'll teach you 10,000 prayers, 10,000 aspects of morality. The, the, all they're doing is giving you mind training, cultivation, and some purification. Yet, over time, bit by bit, they're going to whittle it down, whittle it down, whittle it down, till your mind is perfectly focused on one thing, and that'll be God, the infinite reality, the truth, the sat chit See? So now I tell you, okay, eat that toast and pay attention. Now, all of a sudden, that piece of toast goes from a piece of toast... To, a, to the journey of revelation because before you were eating the toast in three minutes. Boom, you know, I'm good to go. Ch- Chuck a cup of tea down and you're out the door. Now you're chewing on this piece of toast and thinking, i got to make this last an hour. Now, because of your sustained attention, you're starting to realize things about that piece of toast that were that had never entered your mind at any time in your entire life. Why? Because you're paying attention. Before you just had cursory knowledge. But now that you're, you're spending an hour eating that single piece of toast, you're going to have intimate knowledge. <laughs> so, in that intimate knowledge, you're going to move from the finite to the infinite. That's the journey you're going to make in eating that piece of toast. In the beginning, you just had very crude, very, very finite uh, uh, perception of that piece of toast. But now, as you eat the toast, you're going to realize that inherent in that piece of toast, first is all the crude, but then that piece of toast becomes cosmic. You know, all the elements of the toast, the nature of the toast, the origins of the toast, you know, all the intimate flavors of the toast, and those flavors are tied to the infinite self. You just have to track it back, track it back, track it back. Something comes from something, and definitely the finite came from the infinite. <laughs> definitely the finite came from the infinite. It didn't just happen. See, It was birthed in that absolute reality and manifest in a limited form. So that piece of toast can move you from the from the secular to the sacred. <laughs> Why? Because of intimate sustained attention. An attention you had never given to it. So in in the in these types of studies, you are truly moving from the finite to the infinite, from the limited to the unlimited. But how do you do that? One is relentless contentment means you're allowing things to be without manipulating it without putting your stuff on it without expecting anything can you imagine that not expecting anything we expect something all the time from everything anything we touch we expect something from it like I expect this not to be hot when I touch it (laughs) see was it conscious that I expected that no but is it there I don't expect it to be hot when I touch it so I have some expectancy. So we expect something from everything. Now the teacher is saying, be content, again, another revolution. (laughs) It's another revolution. Not to expect something from from everything that we're involved in. We expect it not to hurt us. We expect this, we expect that, we we all have these infinite amount of expectations. Now, the teacher says, don't expect anything. Just be content. And don't look at 360. Look at just one degree. Just have sustained attention. Can you understand the revolutionary practice of meditation now? Are you, are you starting to see another context of the, of the revolution that you're you're entering into? It's definitely doable. So now you have to say, when when you... When you all types of uh, physical emotional psychological agitations agitations or phenomena arise we can say be content don't expect anything don't expect to like it don't expect to dislike it don't expect anything just be present just be present don't expect anything from it and if a, a good feeling arises or an uncomfortable feeling arises don't hold on to it just be content don't hold on to whatever arises. You know, we only want things to arise that we like, that we feel good about, that we that are pleasant. But I'm saying the pleasant and the unpleasant, you gotta leave it alone. So you have to you have to have rooted in your mind the concept of contentment. Like right? it means whatever arises, I'm okay. Whatever arises, it's not gonna ripple my mind. Whatever arises, I'm going to let things be. That now you're understanding that you have to have a type of cosmic acceptance of whatever. What have you ever had that in your life? A complete acceptance of whatever arises, See? again, this is a revolution. And whatever arises, I'm going to maintain a sustained attention. See. Just allow my awareness to be. But I'll allow my awareness to be without constant rippling, without constant movement. See? Now you're, you're moving towards God mind, not human mind. This is a cosmic mind that's, that's aware of all things and unperturbed by it. Has a constant, steady gaze, meaning constant, steady awareness. Without being disturbed by anything. See? Again, when will you ever like that? Isn't this again a revolution in consciousness? See? You're moving from the finite to the infinite, from the limited to the unlimited. This is what this type of uh, uh, vipassana or meditational training brings to you. So you you move from a. Def- well, um, profoundly defined human to uh, undefined, infinite consciousness. Just pure awareness. Undefinable. Undefinable. See? <clears throat> Again, without the study of the saints, why would you ever want to make that journey? Okay. You have, with the saints, you, you acquire confidence in their words. So, you realize there's some undefinable joy, some undefinable function that is infinitely beneficent. So, it should be pursued. But without having the confidence in the saints, why would you ever want to make that journey? You know, you're sort of good with what you got. See? There's no, there's no reason to climb Mount Everest unless someone inspires you to. You know, you have what you need, you have your housing, you have your food, you have opportunities. Why would you be inspired to climb this spiritual Everest? See, You need the saints. You need the saints for that inspiration, for that confidence, and for a realistic understanding of what you're going to have to tackle and that and that making that journey is worth making the journey see? most people they they seek meditation and they just want some acorn of of peace see an acorn just a little tiny seed they're <laughs> thinking okay I, I get some little stress reduction i'm good to go <laughs> the saints are saying all this infinite look out into the stars and become aware that it's yours, you know. You're running around like an orphan, and all that is yours, you know. They're saying that this belongs to you, this creation is yours, but you have to truly get it, get that in your bones, you know. The only reason, you, way you can realize this is yours is if you grow into the condition of more embracing infinite consciousness. But with a finite consciousness, you always have an inherent limitation. How can that be mine? All that infinite, see, how can the limited mind embrace the infinite? Very difficult. So, we have to, the journey that we take in meditation and Vipassana and all the various forms of meditation is a journey through the mind to tame the mind to pacify the mind to purify the mind see all of these things have to be done it has to be pacified it has to be purified it has to be concentrated see? and then we take a leap, a, a leap beyond the mind because mind is still limited we have to take a leap beyond mind in the in the ancient scriptures in India the various uh, leaps beyond the mind or various states of samadhi, where there's various gradations of contact with the infinite. See? Must be done, can be done, has been done. See? This, is, this is not experiments that haven't been fulfilled. These experiments have been fulfilled. But each person must make the journey through the mind it's like walking through a minefield. How do you do it? Very carefully. <laughs> Very carefully. <laughs> you just try to disturb things as little as possible as you go through. <laughs> so. So you learn this, this uh, internal contentment and then this relentless attention, learning how to have sustained awareness. You know, whatever the teacher tells you to do, whether it's eat the piece of toast in an hour, or watch the breath, or see some image of God, whatever whatever it is, there has to be that, that there has to become a contentment and a sustained awareness on whatever element that teacher has told you. See, all of this is mind cultivation, mind training. It's breaking psychic habits. Why does it take lifetime, lifetime, lifetime? Because we have tremendous amount of habits that are all on autopilot that we're not aware of. How many ways do we define ourselves? And the teacher is saying that you're going from the defined to the undefined. See? So you have to be aware of these things. You know? Why do you need contentment? Because you've defined yourself in a million different ways with a million different. Expectations and it's all sitting unconscious. A million expectations and a million definitions of self. And the, the antidote to that is to learn to be content. See? Because with every way you define yourself, there's an expectation attached to it. See? So by learning contentment, you're saying, okay, you know loosen your grip. (laughs) I am a male, I'm holding on to that. I'm of this race, I'm holding on to that. I have this level of intellect, I'm holding on to that. Contentment is like opening the hands. (laughs) Let, let, cool out a little bit, let go. I am a mother, you know, those are really powerful. I am a father, those are really powerful instincts. I am a son, those are really powerful things in, in your psyche. Now you're starting to open your hands be cool, let go, let things be. That's contentment, learning how to sit and just be. All the infant expectations, open your hands, let them be. Don't grip them, don't grip them. If you're not gripping them, they can't hold you back. See, they're not lead pellets in your pocket. So you can slowly it's like if you're under the water and you're holding on to all 10,000 lead pellets. Every time you release one of those lead pellets, you rise up a little bit. <laughs> See? Bit by bit, you break the surface of the water, you have this infinite vista of spaciousness. It's all the 10,000 expectations that you've been holding on to. You know, uh, all the 10,000 definitions that you've been holding on to that have kept you submerged You know, kept you in a limited condition. See, so by contentment, you become more unlimited. Bit by bit, as you release, as you release, as you release. Why does it take time? Because you got a lot of stuff to let go of. See, there's a lot of things that you're holding on to that you absolutely love. It's not good, not bad. You know, it's all part of your culture, part of your society, part of your existence. But you were holding on to a comfort in the limited existence and now the Saints and Masters are saying that there's there is an unlimited existence that why I often say it's talk about the kingdom because it separates this reality from that reality the limited reality from the unlimited reality see so in contentment over the course of time we have to release 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 and then we train the mind to be instead of like a candle to be like a laser or okay? now you have these types of microscopes where in the beginning they were crude and they can just see minor things we can see bacteria running around under the under the screen now we can see the you know the very atoms that's sustained attention Where you can bear down bear down and you can go through the gradations of of nature from from crude to profoundly subtle. See? And then a miracle happens. When you get to the pinnacle of subtle, the leap. The leap happens. There's a there's an inherent miracle hidden in life. See? So we go from looking at you know biologic, basic biological to all the way to atomic vision. That's what sustained attention gives you. So even in attention, you go through many, many dimensions of awareness. That's why i are talking about all these spiritual experiences. They're really there. It's, it's all part of nature. There's nothing special about it. It's just, it's just what it, what's there. But it's what's there as you have this level of attention and then have you have a deeper level of attention and then you have more, a deeper, more sustained level of attention. Each one of those gradations of sustained attention gives you a different level of awareness so that you go through subtler and subtler awareness of the phenomena of, of existence, see? So that you move from the very gross awareness to the very beyond the subatomic atomic awareness. It's because you have this fantastic tool of mind that has that facility. It's simply an unused facility, see? In, in, in mass it's unused. It's used by the saints and the masters, and the masters train humanity to use the facility of mind to the greatest ability, and then to be able to leap beyond mind. When, when mind is perfected, with perfect sustained attention, the phenomena of samadhi arises, which is a leap beyond the finite, leap beyond the limited, a leap beyond the definable, see? All all doable. All doable. But you have to understand all the things that hold you back. So, the two concepts that you'll have to hold on to relentless contentment and sustained attention. Sustained attention. See? (laughs) Not so hard, huh? Uh huh? Yes, my dear.
2: How can one bring the mindfulness and of course the elements that you talked about in, a, in any job setting or in any kind of, even as being, being a student at school to um, a job, any, any kind of job setting, healthcare to IT, you know, how can you bring this powerful practice of mindfulness? in
3: your
0: everyday um, job it, setting? That, that's a very good question. And the answer is that you don't start in a challenging situation. Because if you, if you take it to school or if you take it to work, that's a lot of challenge. Or you take it to the context of your family life. There's a lot of challenges to be able to say, I want to be mindful at work. I want to be mindful in my family setting that's that's too difficult a challenge to take on right away my suggestion would be start with a, a piece of toast <laughs> when there's nobody there to bug you, no one there to distract you so you have to learn to build your muscles your your psychic muscles when there's not a whole lot of other things and obligations so you, you, this is a really practical question so you, you make a, a time Let's say, start with once a week. You don't want to overtax yourself, because this is big stuff. Where you say, okay, Sunday morning, it's peaceful. I don't have a lot of headaches. No one's bothering me. The phone's not ringing. I don't have to look at the computer. I'm going to take two hours at 10 o'clock. And I'm going to have a piece of toast, and I'm going to pay attention. Or I'm going to have a cup of tea, and I'm going to pay attention. You see? So you, you you have to start these practices in an unchallenging situation. Otherwise, it's just too much. So you build your muscles up, you know, or you build your body of skills up in an unchallenged circumstance.
1: Yeah.
0: Just saying you're going to do it for an hour is a type of challenge because you're not used to sitting there for an hour. You're simply not used to sitting there. So, you know. Find an unchallenged situation and start these types of mindful practices. And and then as you become more comfortable with that, then you can you can say, okay, what am how am I gonna be mindful in the work situation or the school situation? Now again, you don't want to do three sixty. The mind's gonna to wanna to do three sixty. I wanna be Perfectly mindful, calm, and you, know, you know, regardless of all the ten thousand things going on around, forget that. Forget that. Say, take one element that you're going to be mindful of, and then insert it into your job circumstance, into your work circumstance. So you so you either <clears throat> pick a ph- physical phenomena, or you pick a, a quality, and say, no matter what I do in the course of this eight hours at work or whatever it is. I'm going to apply this quality, or I'm going to apply this awareness. So if you're looking at a physical quality, say, okay, I'm going to maintain an awareness of my respiration, my breathing, regardless of what's going on. So that's using a physical element. Using a psychological element, you know, I am going to be loving, or I'm going to be peaceful, or I'm going to be kind. You take some psychological element and I'm going to apply that. So you have to be mindful of that element and then apply it to everything that you're dealing with, see? But before you take it into the job, before you take it on the road, (laughs) take it to your kitchen table, you know, and work work out some strength there. Because sitting at the kitchen table will offer you enough challenges (laughs) without all kinds of other... People and elements. you know. So, or 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 even something. This, whether it's a piece of toast or, or just sit at the table, and I'll, I'll tell you, one of your best friends are these little timers. You know, people say, "Oh, it doesn't mean anything. I won't use it." To be, if you don't use it, you're an idiot. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm gonna even tell you frankly, it is immensely helpful. Because, okay, you say I want to sit for, you know, an hour and you're going to have 10,000 experiences of that hour got to be over. It's time to get up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: See, your mind will, be, will not be on doing a practice. Your mind will be on when is this over. <laughs> <See>?
1: <laughs>
0: so let this handle that question. You know, It's over only when it rings and that's it. <laughs> No matter how much you think about it, how much you know time has passed, forget about all that. I mean, all your energy is going to go on onto the clock of, of, when can I get out of this exercise? So just hand this little, punch a little hour in, your two hours, whatever you're going to do, and let the clock deal with that. So that issue is off the table. And then you spend all your time. You know, even if you sit there and say, I'm going to sit at this table for an hour and a half. And I'm going to observe. And I'm not going to get out of the chair. I'm going to observe everything I do in this hour and a half. I'm just going to observe. I just want to know what's going on. That's plenty of challenge, you know. That's mind training. Because if you get up immediately, all the 360 is going to come in, and you're going to be multitasking, you know, you know, 10 million miles an hour. You know, the exercise is over. Now, if I tell you to sit in the chair for an hour, sit in the chair for an hour and a half. And just pay attention to everything that happens with you. Every phenomenal arising that happens with you. Just pay attention. You know. One, you're gonna learn a lot. Two, you're gonna go through a whole lot of discomfort. Because you you're not used to any kind of sustained attention. You're used to three sixty attention, you know, happening super fast. You know, so you're like a monkey with all kinds of bananas to grab onto, you know. That's where all of a sudden you have to sit down and just me you know? And, you know and you start to see all the 10,000 gradations of nonsense we're going through and you're actually paying attention to what you're doing you know you know you were thinking you were really beautiful a moment ago and like hey now it's like not as pretty as I thought see it's a type of mirror that you have to take a look at and to see all the stuff that's going on that you haven't been aware of it's sort of been subconscious or just a little bit underconscious you know but because you had so many other things even though there are things to be addressed you could be easily distracted to other things that are more pleasant mm-hmm. see that are easier see so you have to just learn just to be and you'll 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 realize how many levels of unconscious discomfort that you carry with you all the time, that you simply don't address because you have other, so many other diversions. See? So by being aware, you can solely address the issues. You can put these things to bed. They don't stay active. They're always active if you don't address them. See? So by sitting and becoming aware of all the quiet arisings of things, you can say, okay, these are things I have to find some resolution to. We have 10,000 unresolved issues. Well, are they going to go to bed unless you resolve them? I don't think so. You know, they're going to, they're going to maintain their functionality, see? So this kind of Vipassana practice, meditation practice, makes you aware of, of all the tiny lead pellets in your, in your pocket and teaches you how to drop it, how to let go, how to let it be, see? Any questions, ideas, thoughts? Yes.
3: Is letting go of these pellets mm-hmm. the process of letting of of no expectations, or is coming to resolution with each of these? That's a deeper process itself, because you can simply say, "I'm letting this go," but then you haven't really resolved it. It comes back and back. So, how? I'm yeah. a little confused about how you resolve all of these things
0: are weighing you down. I. I, I, I even in, even in your question I think the answer is inherent because you cleverly and intelligently made it twofold first you, you you have to become aware and then you have to release it because if you're wrapped up in a passion there's no clarity so so you you have to, you have to allow it to be become aware that it is and you have to emotionally release it now, when you're you emotionally release it, there can be a, a clarity of judgment. See, a clarity of judgment can come when you're not impassioned by it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you, 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 you step out of it. It's like there's an argument there. If you're wrapped up in the argument, is there any clarity? No. You've got to release it. And then you say, Oh, now let me analyze the phenomena. So you first learn to become content and release it. And then you, and then you, with that, with that uh, lack of involvement, you can just try to see it as it is. Is this productive or non-productive? You know, is this purifying or is this detrimental? So now that you've released it, you, you can try to see it in a in a in a way that is either productive or it's non-productive. And then if it's non-productive how to say how to make it productive you know what do I need to inject into the situation that is purifying but if you if you're holding on to it and you're still emotionally gripped by it no clarity it's hard to make the judgments it's hard to make the adjustments so basically in meditation when you find a non-productive element you say well how can I make that harmonious which is another way of saying, how can I purify it, see? But it's only when you you have a little space can you make uh, an intelligent, deliberative solution in terms of bringing harmony, bringing purity to the situation, see? So first you become aware, then you learn to release, and then you take intelligent action.
3: Secondly, I wanted to follow up on this question about mindfulness in other arenas, and your wise advice is to start small. Yes. Start with a toast. But, but many people have, some people are beginners like me, but some people have been doing this for a while and you yourself have. And I'm curious in your own life how you do this in your work environment in this application of mindfulness. Is there a way to give us an example on your own experience to how you yourself apply this?
0: I'm like any other human being. Mm-hmm. You know, you, <coughs> you, you get beat up at work sometimes. <laughs> You know, this kicks you, that kicks you, this doesn't work. You know, this was supposed to work and now it's not working. You know, I'm a big uh, believer in prayer. You know, there's an infinite amount of times where some work project will just become uh, frustrating. So the first thing I do (laughs) is stop. (laughs) And then I put my mind on my Guruji and the saints and God. And I say a real prayer, you know, because sometimes it's, it's just the headache is bigger than me, you know, or the things I have no control about. So I'll say a prayer, a, a real earnest prayer. And that generally brings me a, a certain amount of, of peace of mind and, 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 and greater contentment. And then, you know, because, you know, we can't fix the world. The world is is doing what it's doing. So I say a a deep prayer. And then I relax into the prayer. And then I just go back to work. So I I sort of, I, I I have a faith in the grace of God to put some wind in my sails, you know. And I just try to do the best I can, you know. Knowing that I am not the master of the universe, you know. I'm this little, little, you know, hog trying to move through existence and if I can get you know a little bit of the wind of grace at my back I'm good to go and I let it all work itself out but I just folk once I say a prayer I focus and I go back to work and generally things work out you know or it also sometimes you, know, you have to be ruthlessly honest don't lie to yourself oh, I'm such a nice guy I'm such good per-. forget all that rubbish Forget it. Just get over of that stuff. Say right now I'm really irritated. Be honest. In your prayer, say God, I am really irritated. So and so didn't deliver that. So and so messed this up. This is really a headache for me, and 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 I've got a deadline to make. You know. So you you realize that okay, I'm I'm frustrated. I'm irritated. I'm out of balance. So bring that into your prayer. You know, always be you gotta be radically honest to somebody or something.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So be radically honest to God and the saints. Be radically honest. Don't try to put a pretty face on because that doesn't work, that doesn't fly with them, they they know what the deal is. You know, we put a pretty face on to the world, and sometimes we get by, sometimes we don't. But you can't hide anything from them. So just be really honest. You know, and that's is giving you the habit of being honest, you know, and trying to see things for what they are instead of trying to put a pretty face on it. Say, like, God, I am so annoyed. I am pissed off. I am this. I am that. Whatever language you want to use, it's okay, you know. And please bring some peace to my heart, and please let me do this this project with some honesty, some integrity, you know, so that whatever my contribution is, it's been a good thing. And then focus and go back to work. That's what I do. (laughs) But the thing about it is, the more prayer that you do, the more mantra that you do, the more meditation that you do, the more unperturbable you'll be. You You really will acquire a type of Teflon coat where all kinds of baloney, all kinds of chaos can be going on And it absolutely will not get to you. You know, you will just be able to peacefully, you'll be like Miss Teflon. You know, you'll build up this, this literally like a, a type of aura. It's not that you're not sensitive. It's just nothing sticks. See, all the discordant of the day and of various personalities and some of the malicious activities that go on, they simply won't, you'll be aware of it all. But it won't stick to you so that's where having a practice of meditation prayer mantra uh, will will build up in you a, 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 sort of a you, you have your own divine force field it, it that's really really true somebody can spit on you and it won't mean a thing to you You'll say oh you poor soul how can I help you would you like a cup of tea you know it just won't stick see and that's when you when you build up sort of a reservoir of meditational prayer and mantra force. And that becomes a, a huge psychic charge. You know, look at every kind of insult comes at these saints and masters. Every kind of assault comes at them. And they only respond in a benevolent manner. It's because they built up this sacred charge. They literally build up a psychic charge of, of, of healing energy. So whatever enters into that, that field becomes pacified. See? So we have to follow their model. See? And we have to you know be where we are and work to do better. but we have to be honest with each step. The, the, one of the greatest uh, tragedies in people learning to improve themselves is lack of honesty. It really is. It's lack of honesty. They want to see a pretty face all the time. That's just ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. You know. Unless you're a saint, you know, or a master. You know, you've got your ups and downs. So be ruthlessly honest about it. Call it what it is. You, you don't have to like it, but just you gotta be honest about it. Call it what it is and you know, take the next step forward to heal it. You know. Don't say, Oh, I'm such a great guy all the time. Nonsense. You wouldn't be on the planet if you were. <laughs> you didn't get here because you were a master <laughs> You got here because you got stuff to work out. See? So just be be very, very real. Can I ask one more question? Please.
3: You often talk about the finiteness and the planet and Earth as almost like something we have to get through. And and you go through many lives. Yeah, it's a big classroom. Yeah, it doesn't feel very good, this part of it. And I wonder for you personally, as you think about, you know, the infinite and attaining the infinite as a permanent state—does it freak you out that you have to keep going Not through these other lives? And it's sort of—it feels like a, you know—I sometimes feel like you refer to it almost like a hell. And so that sounds very painful. And I'm wondering how you how you,
0: yeah, you see that. That's very interesting. That's really very interesting. Um, yeah, that's a that's a tough question. <clears throat> well. It's a, hard, it's a hard truth because constant re-embodiment, as Buddha said, is a form of constant suffering. Yeah. The, the very moment that you become mortal, uh, you fear harm, you fear suffering, you fear loss. What, what human being can say, I don't fear harm? You know, I don't feel fear loss. You know, I don't fear discomfort. You know, I don't fear disease. Come on, Th- these are not pleasant things. So, it's good to become aware that the constant process of, of re-embodiment, uh, of course, there are good things, but inherent in in birth itself is loss inherent in birth itself is death inherent in birth itself is instability see that these are inherent qualities in mortal birth and then we say well there is condition there is a condition beyond suffering there is a condition beyond instability. There is a condition beyond suffering and you get to choose. So, it's only by saying there are conditions beyond uh, these limited conditions, pain and suffering and loss, to say, okay, this is a type of cosmic trap that I'm in and I'm now ready to get out. It's when when you acquire the the understanding that no matter how much good stuff is going on, there's a whole lot of not-so-good stuff, a whole lot of suffering going on, inherent in nature. You know, everyone is born. You have a mother, the mother's going to die. You have a father, the father's going to die. See? You're going to have children. The children, every moment, are at risk. Isn't that a form of psychic suffering? when you realize everyone that you love is every at every moment at risk you don't know whether you're going to see a person one minute from now you just don't know that is a form of suffering now when you can say that there is a condition beyond suffering that is that is stable and that is infinitely beneficent then you realize that that then you say that's the quest to get beyond suffering, to get beyond instability, to get beyond limitation. See? That becomes the quest. So, you say, okay, I'm caught in a cage. How do I get out? You have to realize that this is a type of massive psychic cage which is has inherent pain and inherent instability. But there is a way out. There's something outside of the cage. See? So that that's becomes the quest to get outside of the cage. See? And then we, we take the testimony of the saints and masters as our compass. If we take the testimony of human beings, that's like one inmate in an in asylum talking to another inmate in an asylum. <laughs> they're, they're both working at profound deficits. And they're both in an asylum, you know, they're locked in, not getting out. The masters and the saints were in the asylum and they say there's a better way. So it's, it's the guy outside the cage I wanna to talk to, not the guy inside the cage, see? So on a, on a matter of faith, we say, I'm gonna take this journey because there are these souls that say there's an infinite vista beyond the, my limitations that 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 is part of my inheritance so I want to claim my stable beneficent inheritance I want to claim my inheritance see so that's the journey you want to make but you have to first realize you're in a cage in, in, in a cage that cage is a type of big asylum you know, so that's the journey. This birth after birth is re-entering a cage, re-entering an asylum. And until you start seeing it like that, you're not going to want to get out of it. You know, you're going to say, I'm good with it. That's fine. You can be good with it for as long as you want. But eventually you'll hear the whisper of a saint saying, there's a condition beyond what you know. And then you'll look into that. And then you'll you acquire the taste for the infinite, as a, as opposed to the habit of the finite. See, it, it's a ch- it's a choice that you get to make. You can choose the finite, or you can choose the infinite. See, listen to man or look at the newspapers, you'll see the finite. Listen to the saints, read the scriptures, you'll see about you'll see the infinite. And then it's your choice. It's absolutely heaven will never force you. God will never force you. You choose this or you choose that. See, it's your choice. Study the saints, study the scriptures. You'll learn about the infinite. Study man, read the newspapers. You'll learn about the finite. Your choice. See? But it comes a point where you, you say enough already. <laughs> enough. Or, and plus, the, the truth is, after you practice enough meditation. To start to see through the world, to see that holy mackerel! I never realized that most of what I'm looking at is a bunch of baloney. That it's like insubstantial nonsense. You actually get that feeling in your belly. When you see, you can see the rising and falling, and and you can see the, uh, the, the this this uh, sort of macabre theater going on. That you say you really get the feeling enough already, you know. I've been that, I've done that, I've, it's, I, it's so old now. You, you really get a feeling of, I want out. I want out. And then you attach yourself to the scriptures and to the masters and you walk the path. You walk You, you walk right out of the cage. But it's not easy to get out. There's all kinds of locks, there's all kinds of limitations, there's all kinds of things that we're carrying in our pockets. They say you go to God naked. That means stripping yourself of all those limitations, you know, God sent you perfect and then you picked up a bunch of stuff. You have to let go. and As long as you're holding something, there's limitation. The only, uh, eventually, it's God and God alone. That has to be in your physical body, in your emotional body, in your psychic body. God and God alone. And you release everything else. Then you acquire the infinite. As long as it's a pebble in your pocket, you're still holding on to the finite. See? You, have to, you have to transit where you have to become aware that you're greater than human. See, we're all caught up in the, in the idea, I am just human. That's a limitation. If I'm telling you innately inside of you is God, and you're saying, I am Joe Smith,
4: <laughs>
0: How much of the God did you realize? <laughs> As opposed to the Joe Smith. See? If I say this, innately within you is the infinite. And you're holding on to every limitation. Which of which, which the portions of your nature are, are you exercising? See? This is why it's very difficult. You, you have to look at the human condition. As a transitory condition, this is not your permanent evolutionary state. We look at it, like, this is who I am, this is what I am, and we think of it as that's it, like a block of ice, you know but no, that 's actually not correct. you know Humanness is a phase of our evolution. see it's a phase of our evolution, so Instead of looking at it as a block of ice, look at it more as a flowing river, see? And that there is a terminal point in a cosmic ocean that that is beyond limitation. We move from the finite to the infinite, see? Another way of talking about meditation is meditation is a science that brings death to death. Meditation is a science that brings death to death, see? We think of death as terminal. <laughs> stop. <laughs> and I'm saying, no, it's not correct. But every, the thing is, we're in an asylum where everyone has the same mass delusions. That's the problem. Everybody we associate with has the same mass delusions. Now the meditation teacher, in order to break that, tells you to stop, be content, to pay attention, to be still, to grasp nothing. So that's that's a revolutionary practice. That's really revolutionary because that's not what you're practicing all the rest of the, your your existence. You know, it's just to stop to be a can be content, to have sustained attention for a prolonged period of time. That the prolonged period of time is so that you have time to get past your stuff, to to be able to have time to drop all your stuff, all of your limited conceptions, see, so that you can break out into some area of freedom or grander vista. That's why meditation people who are really serious keep going because in in their practice they go from vista to vista to vista and each one is grander. So when we come back to regular common consciousness we know for sure, there's no more doubt in our mind, we know for sure that this is a really limited state and a lot of it is a bunch of baloney. I hate to put it that way, but it's true. When you sit and all of a sudden, you go from this dimension to a broader dimension, to a, and you're, you're getting to experience the phenomena, the greater phenomena of those different dimensions, you, all, you start to really, if it comes just a fact in your mind, that everyone that we know and associate with is living in a peanut shell. They're really living in a little tiny shell, but because they're if in a bag of shells, everyone thinks it's good. You know, but when you, when you do this and you start to break your, your, your habitual limitations, we have habits, and each one of those habits is a type of limitation. When you can get beyond that and you go from grand division to grand division to grand division to deeper and deeper and deeper insight, there comes a point where you know that this is just one dimension of phenomena. This is not the world. What we experience is not the world. It's a fraction of the world. See, that's what you really learn. That everything that you're experiencing is just a fraction of the world. It's not the world. Everyone around you thinks it's the world. And, and this is what it is. No way. No way. And any meditation teacher will tell you that. No way. This is just a fraction. So you go beyond, go beyond, go beyond. The problem is, is that you have very little support. Because all your friends, all your family, all your people... They're still living in the little, little tiny asylum. They're not, they're not practicing these things where there's grander and grand division. So who do you talk to? Who can you talk to? See, that's the problem. See So it, you, then, you, then I say that you have to have the desire or the notion to, to join this, this uh, fellowship, this fellowship of saints. So that we're comfortable with this common society, there's a high, there's higher societies than this. So that we say, okay, now I can't talk to this way. My mother, my brother, my sister, my friends, no one's gonna want to hear this. But in my heart, I can want to join that association, that fellowship, and move from grander and grander to grander vistas. Now you're not gonna be even your husband. You may not be able to talk to about it. Your wife. This is a quiet solo, personal journey into the infinite, see? And you have to understand, most people don't want to climb Mount Everest, see? So even though you love many, many people, much of your journey is silent and contained. because nobody wants to hear it. And if they do, they might be signing up, <laughs> signing you up for an asylum somewhere. <laughs> they don't want to hear it, you know? One time, many, many years ago, I started to talk to somebody about uh, some experiences, and their eyes got big, and their faces got plain, and I realized, oh my God, Harry, keep your mouth shut. Because <laughs> it, it was just more than they could compute. You know? And I just went, Harry, just keep your mouth shut. It's you know, At best, they think you're mad. So just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. You know? And a number of the people at the table were friends of mine. <laughs> so it's just like, okay, all right, you know, just keep your mouth shut. And get on with your business. So that's, you know, you just have to understand. If you're really lucky, you have a, a traveling companion, a, a good friend or a wife or a husband that understands the journey. But that's generally not the case. That's generally not the case. Generally, it's a quiet solo journey. And uh, if you go very deep often the only people you're going to talk to is some dharma teacher some guru something like that because they're the only ones that will understand the, the, what you're what you're doing they'll understand the terrain that you're traversing these are really good questions really good questions but this is about taking control of your evolution not just sort of plodding through evolution just sort of having it happen when you practice meditation you are taking control of your evolution. See? You, you've, you've taken that project on, as opposed to just letting, you know, natural selection and evolution sort of push you forward. You, know? you have a question? Yeah. Um,
3: so I was in that sustained attention. Yes. I was just curious. So I, I was in a very deep sustained attention. Yes. And I reached um, just complete and utter psychic pain that was ridiculous and then yeah. I let go but I from that point I'm not sure how like what's the process of growth from there like how do I meet that and continue to be able to yeah even that sustained attention after experiencing that
0: yeah this is a really good question and everybody runs into this kind of stuff everybody yeah. this is why it's a tough subject yeah. you have to have somebody that you, you have confidence in Um because there are, there are experiences, there's grand, wonderful experiences, and there's ruthless, difficult experiences. And it's only by talking to people who have gone through these to say that you just have to bear it until and it, it, it will subside, that it, it is not an infinite condition. It, it, it has its own limitations. And you just have to be able to have the courage to bear it and to pass through it. And once that happens, it can it will never have the teeth it had. You know, in the beginning, it's it's the grandest, most ruthless tiger. But if you face it and bear it and and sustain, just be present. It'll fall apart. You know, it'll it'll fall apart. It'll lose its vitality. See, but it's only a person, a Hari person, or somebody, some other teacher who's gone through those things can say it, it can't last this dragon's teeth will fall but you you have to have that ruthless courage and it, this is a fact it takes ruthless courage you can't be weak and do deep meditation no no way no way you, you, you have to have ruthless courage ruthless staying power you have to be able to outlast everything so you have to outlast the dragon. It, it will fall apart and the thing is this is another thing about studying the saints that you you have to learn to have confidence in the saints that they've faced these same dragons they've faced these same appalling tyrannies within us and they're smiling so we know that we have to go through it you know we might have to pass through our own Auschwitz mm-hmm. but there's a there's there's something beyond the walls and we'll get so it's, it's by that relentless the faith that the the saints have sustained and maintained and gotten beyond it, so will I. You know, I I grasp my immortal heritage and I will persist. So that's the word I used to use sometimes in my meditation. Yeah. That where something was too much, I would just say, I will persist. Yeah, I I must, uh, let me thank you because my yeah, well, it was a, a very long time. I was It can stop you dead in your tracks.
3: I was over nine hours, and then finally I was like... Yeah. But that helps. Thank
0: you. Yeah. Another way to soften that blow, because meditation is fierce, but another way to help you is by practicing mantra, because then all the energy of the spirit will flow through you via the mantra and and give you much more sustaining power to face it. Because in the beginning, you're trying to face it purely using your own psychic power. Mantra and prayer, that's like calling in, you know, the Calvary. You know? And they will, they, they know exactly what you have to, what nut you have to crack, you know, what you have to face. And that becomes a powerful sustaining force that allows you to persist until that phenomena falls away. See? So that's what I would would do. See, this is why you have to talk to people who have had these things. You know their experiences that will absolutely terrify you. That you know, like I tell people sometimes, this sometimes I have no idea when I open my eyes why I was still alive. You know, I mean, it's just the phenomenon was so fierce that you really don't know why you're still alive. I mean, sometimes you actually do this, like I'm still here. <laughs> you know, it sounds quite wacky, but it's true. You know, but it's because of these other practices of prayer, uh, of, of of mantra, and complete reliance on the guru. Hey, Guruji, you know, help me out here. You know, this is more than I can bear. It breaks breaks these shells. Yes.
5: So one of the things you mentioned that dies down is uh, expectations. Yes. And uh, expectations are stronger when the relationship is you know more intimate, right? The more intimate it gets, the stronger expectations are. Um, example would be like a husband and wife relationship, you know, expectations from each other, or boyfriend girlfriend kind of relationship, those are the most intimate, so mm-hmm. stronger expectations, and those are the things that tie us down, so what, what is the way to get, you know, like, a, like free, free from those, or, you know,
0: okay, uh, on the physical plane, there's normal expectations that are fine, you know, civility, taking care of one another, basic morality, no problem, but the difference is is to move your expectation from a chain to a thread. See, the chain is like I demand you behave this way, as opposed to a thread where I am connected to you. I have these feelings, but I don't depend upon them. See, Not, so you can have expectations, but don't. Absolutely depend upon them. You have to say, I am an individual uh, uh, element of God flowing through the world, completely self-sustained. And this is where the teaching of 10,000 comes in. I've had 10,000 wives. I've had 10,000 husbands. I've had 10,000 children. If you think this is the only one, then it's like a big, 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 big deal. And you're holding on to that relationship with a chain. But when you realize I've been 10,000 sons, I've been 10,000 mothers, see, I've been 10,000 lovers, see, then the context of the relationship changes. So your, your relationship is, I want to be sovereign, whole, and healing. And in that, bring Dharma to this relationship, to this relationship, to this relationship. So that... You're, you're now in the position of becoming c- consciously thinking of yourself as whole not in need, see, whole so that your relationship with your wife or your child or your significant other becomes two pillars see, where you can stand, you're not like this you're like this, see, and then your job is to, to help spread wholeness See, that becomes your whole psychic reality, to spread wholeness, which means to spread Dharma. See, So your relationship becomes based on Dharma and not on all kinds of emotional constructs that may be all gradations of unenlightened. See, but you have to remember, this wife is one out of 10,000. This child is one out of 10,000. You have to keep the context. See, it's not the only reality, the only wife. No. She's one in 10,000. You're one in 10,000 husbands. So you have to realize that. So you have to say, okay, if I'm one in 10,000 husbands, what's really, really significant? What's really, really significant is the dharmic energy that I'm manifesting in this one expression. See? You're not the only one. You're one in (laughs) Mm 10,000. So the teaching of 10,000 is one of my favorite teachings because it keeps the context... You know, it keeps the context. So, in this one in 10,000, I want to, to be, to, to manifest Dharma. But it's just one in 10,000. It's not the only reality. See? If we think it's the only reality, obsession comes in. See? And massive expectation comes in. It becomes unreasonable. See? But you have to realize these are all souls flowing through existence, it's not mine. Get the word my, my wife, my child. You know that in that book by Hill Graham, he talks about you know the children are not your children. See, you know, they're expressions of God that that you are to nurture, but not to possess. See, he doesn't think, oh, that's my possession. When they're thinking about their children, no, they're my child. No. They're in your care to nurture and to lease into the world, not yours. See the possession? In that book, The Prophet, it's so beautifully said. It's it's beautifully said in The Prophet. What's the name of the book? The Prophet. The Prophet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Everyone should read that book. It's lovely, lovely, lovely. Is that the one you're talking about, the 10,000 things? No, no, that's just me talking. Oh, that's (laughs) (laughs) me. But he, he, he talks about possession. You know, and just, you know, when we, when we think of our children, we think of my child. And like, can you imagine the emotional charge between my child or my wife? Can you imagine the explosion of emotional charge? But well, when you apply this is one of 10,000, and that you're, you're a steward of life. You're a steward of this relationship, you see, as opposed to my wife, my child, my this, you see. The big difference when you're saying my, and then you consider yourself a dharmic steward of something. So, I'm a dharmic steward of the relationship I have with my wife. That's where she should think. I'm a dharmic student of the relationship I have with my husband. See? Completely different psychological uh, standing, place to stand. See? <laughs> See, there's not the clutching. See? It's just. Helping, helping life to be pure, to be normal, be healing, healthy, as opposed to clutching. Any other thoughts, questions, ideas? You usually have something really good to ask. Yeah, it has been great questions today. Oh, my favorite.
2: Uh, I think that 10,000 wife or husband, that yes. is very good because you uh, don't think of only this specific one. Right. And then it will expand your heart. Exactly.
0: Yeah. exactly. Then
2: you don't really love oh, this one or not that one because you never know, sitting next to me, she has some kind of a relationship with me in the past. You, know? you never exactly. know. You know, you
0: never know. So that's why. I am Yeah. Well most likely, especially if you're in this kind of dharmic situation most likely you've all had relations with one another. How about your neighbour? You never know. Yeah. Yeah,
2: that's
0: why. There's all kinds of there's ten thousand karmas also. (laughs) So you know these are all the things to to think about. You know, uh, yeah, so the, that the, you move from that multiplicity to one, so you, you have, see, Master Jesus, Master Buddha, uh, Master Krishna, they had one relationship with life, one relationship, there was no divinity, no, no chopping up duality or divisions, that's what I was hunting for, they had one relationship with, with life itself. And that's what we have to grow into. That's why Dharma is so important. Dharma helps us to develop one relationship with life. What do
2: you mean one
0: relationship? Meaning kind, harmonious, healing, growth. It's one, they, they had one expression. Uh-huh. And these are the fruits of that one expression. They had an, an infinite, absolute love. They all did. And the fruits of that love was harmony. Harmony and compassion, all and forms of uplifting love, see? So that's what we have to grow into, is one expression. That's why they say God and God alone. When you're saying the word God, it's not a personification of an individual. It's a reality, a reality. And then we, when we talk, we talk about the nature of that reality. But it's one force, one one spirit, infinite souls, one spirit. <laughs> can
2: you use the word
0: self? Yeah, you can. You, yeah, if you if you use it in the cor- correct way. When you when you say self, you, you you're saying a soul. But it's like it's it's like um, an ocean made up of infinite raindrops. See, so when you're a raindrop you're having your own unique experience of existence but when you hit that ocean you have a cosmic experience see so we're we're unique and infinite we're a paradox we're unique and we're infinite at the same time as long as we hold the quality of mind, we're having a unique, individualized experience. But when you go beyond the mind, you're having a universal experience. See. So both, both conditions, one in the manifest, one in the infinite. And it's the, these masters are aware of both. They're, they're aware of their, their, their evolutionary heritage, and they're aware of their infinite heritage. See? That's why a am say, I can remember all ten thousand lives. But also at the same time, he's aware he or she is aware of, of one cosmic existence, that they're a part of that reality. See? Interesting situation. Any other thought? You have any questions today? Can you want to talk a little bit about your Vipassana experience? Some of you, a number of you, have had some Vipassana experiences. Your 10 day Mm Goinka. She she did her
5: first uh, few months ago. So, if you want to go on that. Mm -hmm.
0: You you want to spin the camera around? Mm -hmm. (laughs) They went into the laboratory. This is almost, you know, this Goinka laboratory. (laughs) You can just shift it around. And I w- it also. Uh, what I like is that that'll help inspire people to do these types of intensives.
5: You know. Okay, I'll talk, and you can. He's talk. Yeah. So So, uh, personally, I'll, I'll, I've been going uh, doing this for many years. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, there are many things I like about like about it. Yeah. But um, I'll I'll say a few. So the, f- the very first thing I like about that is. Um, The part of going away and leaving everything behind and, you know, don't worry about your phones or internet or anything, right? You just go away for 10 days and uh, sit in the woods uh, quietly and observe silence. So that part makes it very attractive for me because I like that setting. So it gives you the right setting. Uh, I remember you always say, you know, the environment, uh, right? So so that gives you the perfect environment to practice. So that's number one. the retreat itself, I like it. The whole schedule, it's is very conducive for the practice. Yeah, uh, that's good. Um, the teaching is priceless. Um, you know, Buddha's teaching is very, uh, it's very practical, uh, yeah. and uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. So, you know, uh, in daily life life also, so I like that. Um, and um, overall, I think that particular retreat. I mean, you know, those 10 days, uh, I like them also because they are not commercial. They are mm-hmm. like, you know, they're they, are, they are on a paid-forward basis. So, yeah. there is no strings attached, is, there is no expectations from, you know, mm-hmm. students. Some, you know, some people donate, some people don't, but it doesn't matter. It just mm-hmm. keeps going. So, I like that also. So, you know, it makes me, gives me the freedom that, you know, it's nothing commercial. It's nothing, you yeah. know, nobody's benefiting from it in a wrong way. Right. So, it's a it's a good thing. So that and i think in particular the whole teaching that's the now core part of it which i i absolutely love uh, i think it has given mm-hmm. me a lot of clarity and uh, uh, you know i think it's it's one of the one of the best ways to achieve the freedom that's what i feel like so mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Yodi. Um,
4: so uh, this uh, was you? my first experience ever yeah i heard a lot uh, about it from him like i from you i hear mm-hmm. about it and then people and from books Mm. but uh, when you actually experience it it's it's a life-changing experience a lot to learn and a lot to actually implement in your day-to-day lives like you even mentioned today that it's not just about the cage there's a bigger picture and that's what the part of teachings included that that because we as individuals we address ourselves like I me myself Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and uh, it's Basically, life is about a lot more uh, mm-hmm. in a bigger picture than just ourselves. And, uh, um, and like we say that we are, atta- there are a lot of attachments uh, mm-hmm. that we experience in our lives. But and which are not wrong, but uh, being attached, like you said, like uh, that example of being having a threat, uh, yeah. rather than Pushing. like. A chain mm.
1: um,
4: it, it's it has a great deeper meaning in it and mm. it, it would be very nice to be able to learn and implement that uh, mm. to achieve that uh, and, uh, it did make a lot of difference I mean the uh, bring changes to my day-to-day lives mm. like we said that during our work and all we get so agitated and the situation that arises But the way we can control our own mind, Mm -hmm. because it's all in our mind, Uh, it's when we create our own judgments, Mm -hmm. that this is wrong, that is a judgment in our mind which Mm -hmm. makes us angry or which Mm -hmm. makes us feel happy about it and basically to have that control on our own minds, Mm -hmm. it's how it will impact our own lives and to be able to be in peace, it's totally in our own hands, in our own mind.
0: Exactly. Exactly. The more
4: we understand that. And in your previous uh, sessions, also you mentioned, like in your talks, that it's all about how we judge others. Mm -hmm. It's nothing about the other things Mm -hmm. doing that uh, 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 to anybody else, Mm -hmm. but it's our own judgments Mm -hmm. with which we actually achieve happiness, peace, or agitations or unhappiness. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It was a great experience, and that whole 10 day thing was really important to. Understand that that to go through that process of sitting yeah. for that long, uh, longer period, yeah. like you said, having a toast in mm. within in one hour, mm. like and you feel so much like you know there mm. are impatience. Yeah. You want to you you find it tasty. You really want to eat it, but you can't right. and stuff like that. So it's like sitting there for hours. Like you 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 say yeah, I can meditate like 15 minutes. I'm becoming regular this that, but making you sit there for hours. Yeah. It is really trying your patience, but then ultimately you understand how important it was. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't understand the actual outcome of it.
5: Right. It's like mm. the eating the toss in ten days. You learn a lot. You learn a lot. Anybody else at this I know that that's
1: a
0: very powerful course people take. I want to say something. Yes. Yes. Well, I like this
2: example. A piece of toast, and uh, I think if we can try to apply the mindfulness into daily life, like what you said, job, you can do it, it's doable. Yeah, I try to because um, when you do something, just just only one thing, because right. usually we're always thinking, planning, yeah. And the mind is dis- dissipated. Just saying, oh, what and and all around. But mm-hmm. right? if you do just one thing, it's more effective, and mm-hmm. you won't have have like you, you wouldn't have like a, some kind of agitation or yeah. or um, that's my, I, my
1: experience. <laughs>
5: yeah. I I would like to add to that. I think that's a very good point. Yeah. And uh, to be mindful uh, mm-hmm. on a regular basis. I think uh, what. I've seen very helpful is that uh, daily practice of sitting. Yeah. I think the discipline in sitting, even for 15 minutes or one hour, whatever works for you. If you sit on a regular basis, that sitting can translate into your regular activity where mm-hmm. you can be more mindful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's actually you know practice yeah. time, like to where you you know make yourself stronger. Not
2: just only sitting. So, yeah. 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 Not just only sitting. Everything in driving. Yeah. People yeah. when people drive, they just think of this, that, and they are not really mindful to just drive. Yeah. They just think too much, planning what I do next, or yesterday, or whatever, in their head. Yeah, That's what I think. Yeah. One thing at
0: a time. Yeah, one thing at a time, yeah. Yeah? yeah.
1: Cool. I think
6: uh, uh, well, my, my first 10-day um, sit, I actually had a lot of resistance, and that whole story you were saying, or you, you were talking about... Um, uh, trusting that the saints have done it before was really key, and in this case i wasn 't necessarily thinking the saints, but I had several friends who had done it and gotten lot out of it yeah. who had encouraged me to do it, and that was important because when you 're there you're you 're in isolation you 're not having contact with anybody and um I think uh, I didn't realize how much resistance I had. I had a lot of resistance. But on top of that, I was very clever about it. So I remember, I think, the, third, the night of the third day, I was having such a hard time.
0: <laughs> I'm going to turn it so I can see. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the, night,
6: the, the, the third night, um, I was having such a hard time that, that I was even uh, up that night thinking. This is how I'm going to get out of this.
1: <laughs>
6: <laughs> I had a plan. I was like, after breakfast, I'm going to go to the office and I'm going to tell them that I can't do this, um, and, and I, I was clever about it, I even said, oh, you know, I didn't even check this by my Dharma teacher,
1: I don't know if he'd
6: be okay with it, you know, maybe I should give him a call, I mean, it was was—it was a crazy thought, because uh, there was, uh, you know, there were times when I was just a little bit even, like, afraid of what this process was like, you know, it was like, oh, is this some sort of cult, like, you know, who are these people? But, um, the next morning, I actually calmed down. I was like, "Oh, okay, Maybe, you know it makes a little more sense. I was just going through a lot of resistance. Yeah. but yeah, I was it was humbling because even I, I thought of myself as somebody who was pretty aware, and like <laughs> with all that resistance that came up, really? it was um, it was really interesting. But I think what got me through it was, oh, wait a minute, that's right, like. Um, oh, yeah, these two other friends had gone through it. And they're not crazy. And, yeah. You know, they didn't, you know, uh, they didn't become erratic or whatever. Implode. Yeah, but it was, yeah, l- there were a lot of times during that 10 days that where I was, like, really shocked at yeah. what came out of my mind. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the first, the initial resistance, and you, once you get past it, then um, it becomes easier. Yeah. You, you become stronger, but <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's,
0: it's that contentment, uh, surrender. Yeah. you know, all of that is is part of it. Too. Otherwise, a lot of clever mischief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all these things are important. So the going to ten days, they happen quite a bit, and they're they're available for everyone. He recently
5: he passed away? Hmm? He recently passed.
0: Away. Oh, really? I didn't know.
5: Yeah, uh, it was uh, 2 weeks
0: ago maybe. Oh, wow. I hadn't heard. Yeah, okay. he was 89. Yeah, I know he was up, you know, senior. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. What's his name? Goenka.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah, you can find him on the internet, <coughs> uh, YouTube. Has many, many of his things up there. So Yeah, this this is it's, it's everyone just has to take on the challenge of exploration. Uh, and, and to see um, the many hidden conditions that are, are functioning in your life that you're not aware of. You know, if you've got you know, 20 lead pellets in your pocket and you're living with it, but you don't know they're there, how can you drop it? <laughs> you know, if it's not useful to your life, but you're not aware of it and you're carrying it. So these meditation traditions allow you to become aware of what you've been carrying, so that you can release it. The moment you release it, aren't you that much more free? You know, that much dead weight that's not being carried around. So you have that feeling of, of greater and greater of freedom. You know, also with the meditation science, you'll you'll also acquire a greater sense of connection. <laughs> You know, but positive connection with life, you know, not so defined in your limited, uninformed psyche, but a a vaster connection, you know, in a healthier, fuller way. But you have to take the journey, and the journey is a challenge. You know, some of it, the journey is beautiful, some of the journey is thorny. But you have to simply accept it, accept it. So there's acceptance, there's a surrender, there's a contentment that are, are necessary in the, in the body of the journey. You know? If you do that, you, you do the hard work, you come out the other end a whole lot happier, a whole lot happier, a whole lot less bonded, <laughs> held down, <laughs> shackled, you know. The, the, these practices are, are really freedom practices. It they, they, they really is. Meditation is a freedom practice. But you become aware of the chains that you yourself have constructed. And that's the tough part, is becoming aware of your own self-constructed chains and then releasing them. But as you release them, freedom. Freedom. So, again, you're moving from the bound to the unbound. You know, this is what this is what you're doing. So what we'll do is we'll chant the Om three more times. I know the, I can smell the food in, in, in the back. Yeah. Are there any final closing questions? I, I really thank everyone who has done those courses uh, for speaking because it, it's useful and it's inspiring to other people. Uh, one, become aware of them, and two, to pursue them. And then uh, as you do... Life should be about infinite experiments, infinite questions and infinite experiments, you know, and ask the biggest questions possible. Because without asking the question, you never come to the answer. You have to ask something to receive something. So ask the questions. If you're sitting there on your hands and saying, this is the way life is. Well, is there any progress in life? I don't think so. I don't think so. You got to, you got to ask the questions. And then those those answers that come uh, inspire you to move on in your in your own personal journey, your own personal evolution, your own personal liberation. See, you can't help anybody out of the ditch if you're in the bottom with them. See, get out of the ditch and then put your hand down and pull somebody else out. See, but you first have to get out of your own psychic ditch okay so we'll chant om three times take a deep breath in